Welcome back to Detroit Strange. Thanks for joining us. Yes. That's Today. Jess over there. And that's Alex over there. We remembered two weeks in a row. What wow. Up? Is that a record? Possibly. <laughs> uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in, in our recording space. It really is. It's just getting festive. It's got this new green candle on the table. It's gorgeous. It's very large. It is. I spilled Moscow Mule on it this weekend, so I had to give her a rinse, but um, she's doing good. Okay, good. I'm glad she made it through that. Yeah. That horrible tragedy. Yeah. So you've been kind of busy lately with a little planning of something. Yeah, it's getting ready for our Ants in the Hall Christmas show Mm -hmm. because we have a show on the 23rd, so. That you are kind of taking on the role of main producer. Yes. Executive producer, if you will. HBIC, if you will. Uh, It's going to be exciting, though. Uh, Yeah, I'm excited. I got some stand-up books, stand-ups booked for it. Mm Mm-hmm. Got some fun ideas. I'm excited about it. And I'm excited that you are repurposing a sketch. Absolutely. That's been around for a while. Yeah. And now I think five people have had their hands like on this sketch. So I'm really excited yeah. to see that because I love collaboration. So Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's the 23rd. Yes. Of December at Planet Ant. Yes. Ant Hall. If you're around, join us. Yeah. It'll be fun. It'll be a great hey. time. It'll be tons of holiday Christmas cheer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your costume is fantastic for oh, it. Absolutely. So I cannot wait. Yes. <laughs> that's been, I mean, that's been where most of my attention has been lately is uh, on things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a very um, show heavy time for us. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Which, yeah. No, it's fun. Getting back in the swing of things. Just the. Putting on a weekly show. It's wild. It is. It is. It's a good wild, mm-hmm. but can definitely be a little exhausting at mm-hmm. times. Especially when you also have a job. Yeah. Yeah, that whole job thing always getting in the way. I know. I know. Um, we have to find a solution. Right. I've been deep, and this is no shock to anyone, into terrible Christmas movies. Uh-huh. Been amazing and fantastic and awful all at the same time. What's the like just the, like cheesiest one you've watched this year? Like, have you watched any or just like even you've been like, oh, that was heavy handed or that was a ham sandwich? Yes, uh, quite a few. And I some of them I can't remember their names because they're so like insignificant, <laughs> which is terrible. Yeah. But yesterday I rewatched one I'd already seen called I think it's called like. The Ghosts of Christmas Eve Pat, I don't know, but it's like it's like a you know it's like a Dickens story yeah. takeoff, and but it's a a woman is like a I think she's a publicist for a young starlet who is just like you know wild and the young starlet passes away and then becomes like a Christmas ghost and she has to go through like the boyfriends of Christmas past maybe okay. it's called the boyfriends of Christmas past that makes more sense yeah and you know right her wrongs and. Figure out her life. Right. But Jack A is in it as her mother. So that's fun. Okay. Yeah. We like that. <laughs> yeah. But it's real bad. Oh, yeah. Especially when the angel gets her wings at the end. Oh, I can only imagine. Just the phrase when an angel gets her wings. I'm already like, ugh. <laughs> uh-huh. It's real cheese ball. Like, oh, yeah. Real cheese ball. So that that was one of uh, this weekend's watches that I was just like, wow, this is worse than I remembered. Yeah. This is really bad. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I also rewatched this week. This one is really cheesy, but I love it. It's called The Christmas Inheritance. I think I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. So I recommend if you like cheesy holiday movies, that one. It's bad, though. I mean, that's I feel like there's only so many good Christmas movies that you're going to have to start dipping your toes in the bad ones eventually. Oh, yeah. No, and there's like a very significant difference, I think, between like a bad Hallmark-esque or Lifetime-esque or whatever yeah. you want to call it Christmas movie. And like there are good Christmas movies, too. Yeah, so oh, absolutely. Yeah. They're just different. Yeah. And then there's like comedy Christmas movies. Yeah. I do still want to see The Bitch Who Stole Christmas, which is the RuPaul Christmas movie. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah. I literally know nothing about it besides, like, I don't know when it's coming out or what the plot is, mm. but I saw, like, a little, like, they're talking to the, the drag queens and actors and actresses in it, and, like, it's just like, oh, this seems like a fun cast. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to watch, there's one on Netflix, I forget what country it originated in, but it's dubbed over, uh-huh. called Elves, but it's a horror movie. Okay. <laughs> about this family that goes to, like, a cottage in the middle of nowhere kind of a thing, or a small town, uh-huh. and there's all these fences everywhere, and people are like, Oh, yeah, don't go beyond the fences. Which, of course, they're like, let's go beyond the fences. Well, the children. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So I won't say, I mean, that's all in the trailer. I haven't actually watched it, so I can't really give a good spoiler. Uh, But I kind of want to watch it because it keeps coming up on Netflix. And I'm like, "Mm, maybe I should. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I think just because I know I'm inevitably going to have to watch the same four Christmas movies with my family that I'm like, that's my bandwidth for Christmas music movies. What are they? Christmas Vacation. Okay, solid. Home Alone. Solid. Four Christmases. I feel it's like Vince I've Vaughn seen... and Reese Witherspoon. I think I've seen that one, but it's been a while. Yeah. And number four, drum roll. Oh, I'm totally blanking. It might just be like the Charlie Brown one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which those are all fine and great Christmas movies, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't I don't tend to seek them out too often. I did watch... Because well, you know you're going to watch them. Right. <laughs> right. I did watch two movies last night, though. I watched the Lizzie McGuire movie. Fantastic choice. And Beauty and the Beast. The live action one? No. <gasps> the cartoon? Yeah. Oh, excellent choice. Yeah, me and I love that. Jess... Our friend Jess. Uh, yeah. We were playing Stardew Valley and we just wanted movies on the backgrounds. So we're like, what are some great? We're kind of paying attention, but we're also kind of tending our virtual farm. Fair. I love that. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's been a minute since I'd seen Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize how many times she says provincial. There must be more <laughs> to this provincial life. Oh, yeah. She says it like I. it's definitely that vibe of like she learned that word like last week and she's trying to solidify it. I remember by using it as much as she can. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, I've definitely noticed that before. But I mean, how else do you explain that? Right. Life. Apparently the only that one way. <laughs> oh, oh, I did. This is not a holiday related thing, but I did finally watch Black Widow. I don't know. Part of the MCU. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And I had not heard anything bad about it, but nothing that was compelling. Yeah. I liked it a lot. You did. Okay. I did. I really did. It, And it's not even a character that I feel as like tied to in the MCU. Like it's a fine character. Yeah. Like in terms of her being a compelling character, I feel like in like the Avengers movie, she doesn't really have much to work. Like, she doesn't have much going on, I feel like. She does and she doesn't to a certain extent. I mean, like, 
she is one of the people without actual superpowers. She's just like really good at what Russian she does. Spy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, like she's been trained and yeah. And it goes a lot into that history too. Yeah. So like it's interesting in that way. Right. And there's like a whole thing kind of with like fam- family, quote unquote, in it uh-huh. that's interesting. And I don't know. I think it was like a good one too because it's not necessarily like focused around any kind of like romantic relationships. Uh huh. I do like that. Yeah. So the relationships being built are very interesting in that way. So I liked it and I was surprised by how much I liked it. I went in with no expectations. Uh-huh. I was just like, well, I haven't seen this one yet. And I've seen pretty much everything else with the exception of like one other thing. So I was like, yeah, hey, let's do it. And I liked it. Good. Yeah. That did remind me of things that I just watched that came out. I did start and just like that. The Sex and the City reboot. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. It's interesting because it's not called Sex and the City anymore. Mm-hmm. And just like that. I knew it was called something. And I knew it was the thing that she said all the time. But I, I've i watched Sex and the City, but I'm not, like, well-versed. It's I, They're definitely taking an interesting approach with the reboot. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting seeing these characters aged, like, 15 years since the last time the show was happening. Because, like, there's been the movies. But the movies, I feel like, are almost parodies of the show. Not mm-hmm. like actually connected to the show. Because they're always just like two of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They just got some interesting storylines going on with the three that returned. And then there's this new kind of like, is she going to be the new Samantha kind of lady sweeping in? Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see where it goes. Okay. I can see how people have mixed reviews. Yeah. But I think, because like, I don't know if you heard, but they filmed a bunch of fake scenes to throw off the paparazzi on what the plot was going to be. I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. I'm oh, no. interested enough that I want to see what they're where they're taking these. Oh yeah, that's totally fair. I just I and how they explain Samantha being written off. I will say they handle it really well. Okay. That's good. Yeah, as well as they could have. Yeah. And yeah. I get it. I mean, like shows have to do stuff like that sometimes. Right. I also very get Kim Cattrall not wanting to do that anymore. Oh yeah. Like she's in her Early to mid sixties. From what I understand, there were some other reasons too. There was some personal issue, and also, but like she, yeah, she also was kind of just like, you know, I've played this character for so like so many years. Like I'm kind of done. I don't Mm -hmm. think I can bring anything else to this character. And I think that's, I respect that. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally respect that. And also, she's Kim Control. She can do whatever she wants. Yeah, it's not like she's hurting. You know, right? And She's at a point where she, I'm sure she can pick and choose her projects yep. very carefully. Yeah. And sometimes that's like really healthy. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you don't want to overdo it. Yeah. And this is something we talk about, Absolutely. you know, even within our, our projects too, is if you're overdoing it, you know, it's, you're not doing as well with things. So yeah. like you have to be invested into what you're doing or it's just not gonna yeah. be great. So respect that decision completely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What else I respect? Segways. Yes. This drink you made is delightful. This little brunch yes. style Moscow mule. Yes. It's just a Moscow mule with a splash of cranberry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's a uh... Moscow Yule. Ooh, Moscow Yule. I like it. Yeah. That's perfect. Because nobody else knows what Yule means. <laughs> Yule and Yuletide. Yule log. Yule. Be grand. Yule. You'll be great. You'll be... Yes. Sorry. 
No, I was going to say ladies. I was like, have the whole world on a plate. I'm not even sure if those are the words, but that's what came out of my he'll mouth. Be swell. He'll that's be swell. That's what it is. He'll be swell. You're gonna have the whole world on a plate. Oh, I got most of it. I just didn't yeah, get yeah. swell. Okay. And on that note. Yes. Would you like to hear a story? Only if we can take a sip break real quick. We can, because I just pulled up a different document for a second. So this is one of those stories where I found part of the story and then I started exploring things mentioned. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to tell you the main Detroit relationship for a second. Okay. What we are going to start, though, is with the 1980s into the early 90s, satanic panic. Okay. So, as, not to be confused with a hair dye manic panic. No, one Different. of my favorites though, when I was like 19. Oh, yeah. So, as we know, it was basically society's fear of like the occult and the yeah. unknown and, you know, things to do with the quote unquote Satan. And it was all through the 80s and into the 90s. We still have stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, lingering now from that too. And it was fueled mostly by a fear and a lack of understanding things. And we'll get to it a little later, but even things like D&D were considered to be like satanic, the devil's game. Yeah. Yeah. They have dice with more than six sides. Devil worship. Mm -hmm. That one has 20. That's too many. That's too many. 20 is the devil's number. So actually, I have a friend who told me that his mom wouldn't let him play D&D. I think it was into the 90s, but because of. Yeah. Yeah. So during its peak. Mass media scared people into believing in, quote unquote, evil through depictions of things like, quote unquote, godless teens who are being controlled by things like, quote unquote, there are a lot of quote unquotes, yeah. deviant music. If you play this record backwards. Mm-hmm. That was even in the 70s, too. Yeah. So it was, And we'll get to some stuff that happened in the 60s and 70s leading into the 80s. But that's when the, the 80s was the time that the term was coined satanic panic i do love people who are like if you play this record backwards I'm like why are you doing that why yeah, are you playing it backwards? That sounds bad right for your record player and the record right <laughs> just put the record in and let it play how it's supposed to yeah stop looking for satan messages so it also led though to to a number of high profile criminal cases being heavily influenced by the social hysteria so okay. like in in some cases there were people with things like pentagrams and things like that but not in all cases but a lot of it kind of yeah, because also in the 70s, that's kind of when and I'm not sure the specifics of this, but the term serial killer was coined Okay, somewhere in that era. It wasn't yeah. really a thing before that, even though they there were people in history that existed. Yeah. And also because of media, you have more coverage of things like that. Yeah. So everybody in the nation knows about something happening in another place. Yeah. People were in fear of satanic rituals and often made foul fouls. <laughs> And often made false allegations against teens specifically, especially if they looked a little goth, which I love a good goth look. So, right. For example, I don't I don't know if you've heard this case. Do you know about the Memphis three? No, we'll talk about them in a little bit, too. But they were three teens wrongfully accused and held for 18 years until 2011 after people rushed to judge them based on their appearance. Oh, good. And the murder of three other kids. Yeah. There's actually a documentary called Paradise Lost that I haven't seen, but I've wanted to see. I definitely see. heard of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a big thing because, I mean, 18 years in jail. And yeah. None of, there was no physical evidence. It yeah. was pretty much all speculation. Cool. So satanic, pan- satanic Panic also probably came into popularity for a few other reasons. And like I mentioned, the 60s and 70s were not without a yeah. lot of, there was a lot of 
happening. Yeah. You got to think about things like the Manson murders in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing. The Satanic Bible came out around the same time, but it was also very heavily plagiarized, which is interesting, taking on the philosophies of earlier writers like H.L. Mencken and Ayn Rand. Of course. Yeah. But since it has also become the key text for the Church of Satan, which was officially founded in 1966. Of course it was 66. Yeah. Of course. (laughs) They waited. And if you subtract one from nine three times, then it's 666. Oh my gosh. Coincidence. (laughs) So on top of all this, a year later, there was a lot of movements also in the horror movie industry. So in 1971, the book The Exorcist came out, followed two short years later by the movie The Exorcist. This is when the Ouija board became scary. Okay. That's like really the first time it was depicted. And I think I mentioned this maybe in our Halloween episode a few years ago. The scene in that movie really changed people's viewpoints of it. Yeah. Up to then, it had just been either like a toy or a tool. Right. Mm -hmm. More books followed in 1972's Satan's Satan's Cellar was released. It was a book about a quote-unquote memory, which was discredited 20 years later. Uh-huh. So the story was about a childhood into young adulthood that the writer Warnke claimed was spent in intense satanic worship. He claimed he served as a high priest and was engaged in many rituals, including ritualistic sex. Cool. Yep. But again, discredited 20 years later. Yeah. 1972 also brought LaVey's Satanic Rituals, with another book. And this reinforced the idea that the dark occult rituals had become everyday life for many, like being practiced in somebody's basement or, you know, their home. Yeah. He, however, had no connections to Satanism or the occult. Bunch of made up shit. Yeah. And he's also the one who founded the Church of Satan. Yeah. I was going to say, I was like, why does LeVay sound so familiar? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. That's so this was just him, like, basically, like. Well, I have this church now, so here's our book. Right. Kind of a thing. From from the article that I read. So a few years later, also to the 1978 Jonestown Massacre would cause and showcase that violence could truly happen within occult situations. So again, are you familiar? Um, That's not Kool-Aid, was it? It is Kool-Aid, but oh, it was, was actually cool. Flavor-Aid. Okay. The off-brand Kool-Aid. And- oh, they couldn't even spring for Kool-Aid. Mm. <laughs> So basically, there was hundreds of people living in this compound in Guyana, and the aftermath would equal four, over 400 bodies. Right, because they were like, the spaceship's about to take us, but you gotta be dead first. Something like that? Uh, no, that's the other one. That's the Hale-Bopp Comet one. Gotcha. And that is Northern California. It's, when I hear it, I, I'm like, oh, that's yeah, that call. Yeah. But yeah, it's another one. <laughs> Yeah, it's a different one. It's very one. confusing. Yeah. No, and the other one, I think they ate pudding. Okay. So similar. Yeah. I, I think I didn't research that one for this one, but throughout the seventies, too many came forward as former Satanists, and they would spin tales of the world being ran by rituals in satanic cults. Uh huh. Three of those men were named John Todd, Herschel Smith, and David Hansen, all of who grew up in the area near the Manson cult, okay. so they had been exposed to that as, as yeah. kids. And all of them also heavily linked to the fundamentalist Christian right. Okay. And as mentioned, serial killers were more heavily covered in the media. And there was a number of high profile cases around this time, too. Things like the Zodiac Killer, Mm -hmm. the Alphabet Killer, who both used kind of patterns in their murders that could be considered ritual. Yeah. 
and the likes of Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Hillside Stranglers, and David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, mm-hmm. sparking a lot of terror across the country. And again, kind of having these rituals involved. And I know in the case of David Berkowitz, he actually did perform mm-hmm. some kind of rituals. I don't want to specify. Yeah. The media was in a frenzy everywhere over it. And the mass fear, things like stranger danger were born. Uh-huh. And prior to this, people didn't, you know, they didn't worry about like locking their doors too much and your, or your windows, yeah. uh, you know, kids be home for dinner at this time. Go play, you know, yeah. all that. The eighties are heavy. And I, I never think about it because I was, I was born in the eighties, but I was a child throughout the entirety yeah. of it. So, but they, you know, there was a lot of misinformation being spread. Like you can look at something like the AIDS epidemic and like oh, tons of misinformation. And also things like the Tylenol murders, which are you familiar with those? I'm not. So that's 1982 in the Chicago area. Basically, somebody tampered with the Tylenol and people were dying. Oh, damn. Yeah. Long story short, there's way more to it. But yeah, yeah. this is when trick or treat treating became scary. Oh, and, yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff. And of course, during this time, the fundamentalist Christian right was also on the rise. Oh, good. Jerry, we know how much we love them. Mm-hmm. Jerry Falwell had founded his moral majority in 1979 and was gaining traction across the country. Anti-occult crusaders such as Paul Pulling, who reported to believe that her son's suicide was a result of a D&D curse. Okay. Were also, you know, over the media. Just bringing it back to that D&D. Right. And the belief started to spill over from the religious right again, more heavily into the media. A lot of misconceptions. Public fear, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. In 1988, Geraldo Rivera created a documentary called Devil Worship, Exposing Satan's Underground. And when it aired, it was actually the highest rated televised documentary to that date. It was followed in 1991 with a 2020 episode about an official Roman uh, Catholic exorcism. Great. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of debunking that happened, too, from material that came out. Yeah. So, for example, in 1980, there was a memoir called Michelle Remembers. And it tells a detailed account from a childhood spent undergoing occult sexual abuse, mm-hmm. which would later become known as SRA. Okay. And Michelle Smith's stories were gathered by her husband, Lawrence Pazder, through regression hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Again, though, it's, I don't have the specifics of how, but it was later debunked. Yeah. Um, I think there were some like dates and like people she talked about that the dates didn't match up and yeah. things like that. That specific text would also lead to at least 26 people being arrested despite lack of evidence mm-hmm. in I wrote 1908 and that is inaccurate. I think it's 1988 uh-huh. in Kern County, California. Two children were coerced into fabricating stories. A relative had coerced them about a clandestine local occult sex ring. Hey, kids, let's lie about this occult sex ring together. Luckily, though, most of those convictions have since been overturned. Mm. But one of the men actually served 20 years on a 40 year sentence. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. And that is just one example of many. It would, we could have a whole episode about yeah. this specifically. By 1991, the Justice Department debunked the myth, the myth of SRA. So this idea that like anybody involved in this way is going to be you know sexually abusive and things like yeah, that. Yeah. But it didn't stop many law enforcement agencies from using it as an indicator of somebody uh, guilty of something. Because, yeah, because why not? There is a video, and this is a 1994 police training video called The Law Enforcement Guide to Satanic Cults. Okay. So, but if you want to yeah, come, come over here, but we're just going to watch it, and then we'll comment on it a little. 
We'll we'll post just, it online. Yeah, we'll post. I think post a link yeah. to the video on our socials. Yeah, we'll be posting a link to the video on our socials. But we did just watch like an over seven minute video on uh, training to look for satanic ritual. Pagan homosexual satanic partners. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That was the end game. Is like, or the end of it was basically just like, and this, this would number be a nine, satanic party. This nine upside down cross. This is where mm-hmm. the Satan. That means that we're here to party. Mm-hmm. The best was the mushroom. There is a mushroom painted on uh, the dumpster. Right. Now this is a, a satanic marking. These these are this is gang activity over here, but this one is satanic because they often use psilocybin and other various drugs in their rituals. Oh, and, and peyote. And peyote. I'm sorry, yes. you mentioned peyote too. No, for me, I just love, I'm like, let me watch this man in a brown tweed blazer and this awful mullet. Tell mm, me about the mullet. Yeah, it was a bad mullet. Mm-hmm. And just like, I feel like that must have been the late 80s because I'm just like, okay, they're just, they've just combined Satan, gay, and drugs, all mm-hmm. things the country's against right now. Let's put them into one warning video. Oh, yeah. um, and terrify people for no reason. Right. Like, I want to make a parody uh, of that video. Of just walking through the park. I'm like, you see this here, this hopscotch? This actually means. Yeah. <laughs> just because he's sure. just like walking around a park. He's like, this concrete looks where they did rituals. And I'm mm-hmm. like, why? What, like, what about this, this rope looks like it has blood on it? Just yeah, and this like random vial I found in the ground of a numbent. Yes. <laughs> because he didn't know the word anesthetic or numbing agent. Yeah. He decided to go with the not numbent. a word, numbent. <laughs> but it, it is an entertaining video. But that yeah. was like in 1994 that like people were watching that for information. Yeah. That's sad. It sure is. So basically, the the whole scope of all this is the list of inaccurately like prosecuted people. Yeah, goes on like oh yeah, it, it goes on forever, and most of them lacks of physical evidence. It was just purely based on the motive being that they were quote unquote satanist or satanic ritual, whatever, or just like without foundation. Like I feel like that some of the stuff was a stretch too. It's oh, like yeah, yeah, it was all a stretch. I think. I mean, here's the thing. And there are people like you look at somebody just Richard Ramirez, for example, Mm -hmm. which would happen a little bit later. But like he was very much, you know, he self-proclaimed like Satanist and he did have, you know, pentagram upside down pentagrams and stuff like that Mm -hmm. tattooed and things like that. But also, like, I don't think he's actually related. Yeah. To the Church of Satan or the Satanic Temple. Yeah. Which we're going to talk about the modern day at. In a little bit. Yeah. But now we are going to go back to June of 1990. The Church of Modern Day Satan. (laughs) I've got information. Hell yeah. Um, So, but we are going to go back to right now, June of 1990 in Warren, Michigan, near 11 Mile and Hoover Roads. I know her. Mm -hmm. So Warren, Michigan is like, what, 20 minutes away from the city? Yeah. Yeah. Very close. And this is where uh, Augustine Pena age 15 and Jamie Jimbo Rodriguez Jr. age 21 are mm. living with Augustine's mom. It's hard to trust a Jimbo. It is. And Rodriguez had been living in the Pina house for about three years after his mother shot and killed herself in their Saginaw home, which oh. is yeah. awful, terrible. It's a lot to go through. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a suburban subdivision, mid 20th century brick ranch home, sidewalks, you know, very. Yeah. 
just suburb neighborhood. Yeah. The Pena home was known for its noisy parties. Uh-huh. And it was kind of the place for the neighborhood kids to come and hang out, mm-hmm. especially because Augustine's mom traveled often for work. Uh-huh. Augustine looked up to his older cousin, who was not really the greatest of influences. Okay. After Rodriguez had moved in several years before, Augustine would go on to get expelled, for example, for the first time for persistent delinquency, mm-hmm. which is just something he had never it yeah. had never been a problem before. Yeah. So Rodriguez was declared uh, was a declared Satanist who was trying to be a tattoo artist. He had several tattoos. Not sure if they were self-created or not, but including one of a pentagram and one of a goat's head tattooed on his chest. Okay. So he was also on parole for arson, kidnapping and auto theft charges, Mm -hmm. which kidnapping. I'm like, damn. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, arson and auto theft are bad as well, but kidnapping. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a different level. Yeah. And so there were a lot of people coming and going from this house. Yeah. Like I said, on one night in June of 1990, 15 year old Stephanie Dubay showed up after arguing with her mother. She had basically said, I'm not coming back to this house. I came over and she'd gone to the Pena house like many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she uh, this was not the first time she ran away from mm-hmm. home. Stephanie was born June 25th, 1975 in Warren. Her parents had another daughter and a son before they divorced. In 1990, she was living with her mother in a trailer near Mount Clemens and attended school at the Zoe Christian Academy in St. Clair Shores. Mm-hmm. She was a parishioner at the New Life Fellows Fellowship of Believers in St. Clair Shores as well. Okay. Stephanie met Rodriguez through Augustine, who attended the same church she did. And during this particular time running away, she was staying at their house. And Rodriguez, at some point, tattooed 6-6 over her left breast. Unknown exactly when. This could have been a previous visit. but. She yeah. was around a lot and probably like being influenced. Yeah. Long enough to get a tit tat. Long enough for a tit tat. So the party that night got bigger and louder and eventually a neighbor called the cops. And someone offered Stephanie a ride home, but she didn't take it as she, she had ran away. Home, yeah. yeah. So the next morning in the house was pretty quiet. Augustine's mom was out and Stephanie was still asleep. Rodriguez and Augustine were sitting at the kitchen table when Rodriguez turned to Augustine Pena and said, Let's kill Steph. Very cash. Very casually. To basically, Augustine said, you serious? And Rodriguez said, yeah. So Rodriguez would later tell reporters that the conversation was that matter of fact. Yeah. Like it was just straightforward. He said Stephanie was annoying and she always wanted to hang out with them and he didn't like her. So we kill her. That's Great. the solution. Yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah. So the two started in. Do. Yeah. So the two started in on a plan. They laid down newspapers on the basement floor in preparation. That was their plan. Like they're carving a fucking pumpkin. Mm-hmm. Actually, the article said that, that I was ah. reading. I just didn't add that part in, but yes. And Augustine went upstairs and woke up Stephanie. He then led her downstairs and held her by the neck as Rodriguez proceeded to stab her 10 times in the chest and back with a kitchen knife. God so damn. Just Yikes. fucking awful. Yeah. Because you're annoyed by somebody. Right. Fucking awful. So afterwards, they looked at her basically bloodied body on the floor. And they came to the conclusion that they also needed to dismember her. Which is just a whole other level. Yeah. In Rodriguez's words, quote, we just read each other's minds and went for it. Cool. Yep. Nothing brings people closer like killing a random person. Yep. So. He would later go on to say, quote, 
I wanted a finger for a charm to wear around my neck. It has something to do with my beliefs, but not really. It's something else, really, that I don't want to talk about. Girl, what? Like, I, that was a, ne- like a finger charm necklace? You don't think people are going to be suspicious? Like, oh, let me see your necklace. Yeah, it's some dead girl's finger. We murdered her in my friend's, my cousin's basement. Yep. On top of some newspaper. Yep. Isn't and that cool? Mm-hmm. And that's what he said to the Detroit News. Yeah. Like, he knew where this was going. You know what I mean? Right. So that night, the two went on to fill five garbage bags with parts and they proceeded to bury that's a lot. Yeah. They proceeded to bury four in the yard and they stuck the fifth one in a car in the garage. But they also kept the head out. And this is so gross. So, I'm so if you are weak, then skip 15 Hit the seconds. fast forward button a little bit. They skinned the head and then they placed it into a bag and put it into the freezer. Oh, God. They were keeping it as a quote unquote memento or conversation piece in Rodriguez's words. That's not the kind of conversation piece that I usually go for. No. And here's where it gets. I mean, like, it's very fucked up right now. This is very fucked up. Here's where it gets even more like. Psychopathic. Sociopathic. There we go. Sociopathic, specifically. So later, that same day, yeah, later in the afternoon, people started to arrive at the house to hang out because it was pretty much like that all the time. Yeah, and Rodriguez started to brag to people about a head in the freezer, and it's unknown if he was talking to these specific two women or if they were just going and looking for food. Imagine going to look for an ego and you find that. Yeah. Two women went into either the fridge or freezer, read conflicting information, but they were absolutely horrified to find that there was indeed a human head yeah. in there. So they came up with a very quick plan. And one of them told Rodriguez that she would give him a haircut, uh-huh. but he had to go shower and wash his hair first. Yeah. So while he was doing that, we're going to grab the evidence and go. They raced out the door with it. They went immediately to the police. Police immediately went and inspected the home. They were able to recover the five bags. They also discovered that her tongue, spleen, and right index finger were removed. Ugh. Rodriguez would go on to say that the murder and dismemberment was never part of any satanic ritual. Mm-hmm. It was just something he wanted to do. This was more just, this is for me. This is for fun. Like, ew. Mm-hmm. And the reason I did want to talk about like satanic panic is because yeah, like, yeah. this is... During that time, yeah. this is happening. So I can only imagine what the media frenzy, although most of the articles I read were more contemporary to today, actually, about this. But I can only imagine what the coverage of this was. Yeah. You know, in that vein. And so uh, Augustin Pena testified during trial that he had gone along with his older cousin's wishes. He also stated that he was not the one to actually perform the crime, but yeah. that he did help in cleaning it up and digging the graves in the backyard. Just as a side note, Stephanie's pastor would describe her stating, She was a sweet girl. There's no doubt about it. She had an outgoing personality. I'm just shocked. Yeah. There was not a ton of information about her because the family didn't give a ton. And that's fine. That's totally up to them. But she was buried in Clinton Grove Cemetery in Macomb County near the home that she had ran away from. Mm -hmm. So, of course, there were trials because this was a pretty like, here's a ton of evidence case. Yeah. And in 1991, they were held at the Macomb County Circuit Court. Augusto Pena was tried as an adult and both were found guilty with life sentences. Good. It doesn't end there, though. Uh. So Augustine at the time was evaluated by a forensic psychologist who determined that he had poor impulse control and social 
socialization skills. That's why he was being like influenced. Mm-hmm. And while in prison, he actually started to make some very positive changes. He would serve 20 years with nothing on his record, basically. And he also worked as a transcriber for the Michigan Braille Transcribing Fund. Mm-hmm. He stayed in close contact with his mother and he gave spiritual guidance to other prisoners. And he was eventually known as a model inmate because he was actually like trying. Yeah. And somewhere around 2010, his attorneys did try to file a motion of appeal of a sentence, but it was denied. Mm -hmm. However, in 2012, the U.S. Supreme Court outlawed automatic life sentences without parole terms for juveniles citing it as a, quote, cruel and unusual punishment. Mm-hmm. Since their brains are still developing and the grasp of long-term consequences isn't really fully formed. Yeah. In 2017, the Macomb County Circuit Court began to review Pena's case. Mm-hmm. Pena's case. If I'm saying it wrong. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Judge James Masseroni determined that he was under the influence of a dangerous sociopath and it was a good candidate to be eligible for parole. Mm-hmm. In 2020, Gustin appeared before the court again. Relatives of the victim did attend via webcam and they submitted a letter to petition, but made no no public statement. Mm -hmm. At this time, Augustine addressed the judge saying, quote, I'm sorry, Stephanie. I'm sorry I took your life away from this world. I'm sorry I took away all your hopes and dreams and all your possibilities. I'm sorry we'll never see the woman you would have become. I'm sorry for the pain I've caused your family and all those who knew you and love you. I felt trapped and in a situation I did not know how to remove myself from. How I so definitely wish I could have been the man I am today at the moment I needed to be. There's no excuse for my actions. I only offer this as an explanation of how a child could commit such an act. How I wish I never met Jamie, for I did not have a violent history before I met him. All of my efforts to best myself and positively influence others is only my attempt to live these two words, I'm sorry. So he had a lot of remorse. Yeah. As for Rodriguez, though. Oh, and he was released in 2021 okay i apparently forgot to write that part down but i do remember reading yeah so as for rodriguez he's now in his 50s he is serving life there is no parole for chance of parole for him he's never apologized for the murder of stephanie but he has stated quote i've come close to this feeling it's not a feeling of pity or remorse or anything like that it's not like i'm feeling bad inside for it i'm not happy for it cool Mm Hmm. Yeah. So that's like an awful thing. And again, I'm sure it just like fueled this whole satanic panic thing. Because oh, yeah. It happened and have that. But I think, I mean, symbols are just symbols. Yeah. And it's how people use them specifically. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So now on to Satanism today. Okay. We're, we're going to end it actually a little bit happier. All right. Because I'm all ears. So it should be noted that firstly, the Satanic Temple and Church of Satan are two very different entities. Okay. And it's easy to kind of confuse them. Yeah. So the Church of Satan was the one that was founded in 66 by Anton LaVey. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the idea, and this is all taken from the, the Church of Satan website. Yeah. But it's basically, from what I could tell, it's the idea that one should accept man's true nature. And mm-hmm. that is that we are all carnal beasts living on a speck in a giant, great big universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Satan is used as a symbol that best suits the carnal nature of man by birth. So basically worshiping within rather than exterior things okay and they don't believe in the concept of a soul being imprisoned by a body but they rather celebrate things like pride liberty and individualism Mm -hmm. and at its core man invented gods which basically in their minds 
mean that when you are paying worship to a God, you're actually paying worship to the people who created it. Okay. Because of this, man is not able to accept or control personal egos. Okay. So they believe rather that all gods are fiction and they place the self as the highest value. Okay. In a nutshell, which there's way more, but in a nutshell. So now on to the satanic temple, which firstly, when you go to their website, the first thing you see is empathy, reason, and advocacy. The first three words on their website. They go on to say, quote, the mission of the satanic temple is to encourage benevolence and empathy, reject tyrannical authority, advocate practical common sense, oppose injustice, and undertake noble pursuits. Okay. It goes on to say, and this is a little lengthy, but I think it's worth it. We have publicly confronted hate groups, fought for the abolition of corporal punishment in public schools, applied for equal representation when religious installations are placed on public property, provided religious exemption and legal protection against laws that unscientifically restrict women's reproductive autonomy, exposed harmful pseudoscientific practitioners in mental health care, organized clubs alongside other religious after-school clubs and schools besieged by proselytizing organizations, and engage in other advocacy in accordance accordance with our tenants. I mean, it's better than some of the churches I've seen. It's far better, and it gets better. Yeah. (laughs) The tenants. I have them right here. Okay. One, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. Uh-huh. Two, the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. Three, one's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Yeah. Four, the freedom of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend, to willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another as to forego one's own. Okay. Five, beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. Love that. I know. Uh, Six, people are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. Like that. And seven, every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. I kind of like that. Yeah. They also go on to say they don't promote a belief in personal Satan. Like that's, that's the church of Satan, not them. Yeah. And Detroit has the largest Satanist temple in the U S they also had the largest public satanic ceremony, which took place Saturday in July of 2015. That was with the statue, right? Yep. Yeah. So that's the day that an almost nine foot tall bronze statue of the goat headed Baphomet I think I'm saying that right, was unveiled in a private ceremony that was attended by 600 ticket holders. The Satanic Temple at that time in Detroit had more than 200 registered members, and it was only established two years before that in 2014. Interesting. Mm -hmm. ABC News reported that Baphomet was chosen for the statue because of the contemporary recognition of it as a Satanic figure, and it illustrates the, quote, reconciliation of opposites. Mm -hmm. That, That figure is all about, like, not in the actual gender specific way, but like masculine, feminine, like dark, like just yeah. this like idea of it's a it represents the yin yang. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's the same kind of thoughts. Balance, yeah. The Baphomet is both beast and man, female and male. One hand is pointed towards the sky, the other towards the ground. It's representative of the dualities of our nature. Okay. So the statue was actually planned originally to be placed at the Oklahoma State Capitol. 
Okay. But the state's Supreme Court banned all religious displays there right before it was to be put up. Uh-huh. It cost $28,180 to create. Uh-huh. And the money was actually raised by crowdsourcing on Indiegogo. And 1,041 people contributed to it. Uh-huh. And it was actually going to be placed at the Oklahoma State Capitol because they had a Ten Commandments statue there. Uh-huh. And this was basically to not combat that, that's not the right word, but to bring balance to that. Right. I I kind of like that they're not like, not so much about spreading their religion as being like, nope, not all religions can be involved in this. Let's just mm-hmm. listen yeah. to science and reason right now. Yep. Let's and- not have a statue of a saint. Let's not have a statue of anybody. That statue was taken down, too, after the religious statue ban mm-hmm. in Oklahoma. So it's oh, not there great. anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as of 2015, so it might have grown from there. But as of 2015, there were 20 chapters of the Satanist Temple in the United States with about 20,000 members. OK, so. I'm so intrigued by them. Yeah. And I, I just I love that empathy is part, you know, I just. Yeah. And I think it's important to talk about the fact that, like. It's kind of repurposing the word satanist too to it you yeah know what i mean like i think that's like a big part of it is that and they it don't seem like so much about satan as they do just like against balance purging like the pushing of other religions on people yeah. yeah well i think they're about balance yeah and i think that's kind of like why they choose this figure that represents balance yeah i have so much more to learn yeah but it's a very interesting organization yeah and it sounds like a that is the story <laughs> of a very terrible tragedy. Yeah. Uh, and kind of the culture that was surrounding it to a certain extent. Yeah. Where it started and where it is now. And yeah. I got a lot of information from an amazing article called Why Satanic Panic Never Really Ended on Vox.com by Aha Romano from March 31st of this year. Uh-huh. Uh, also, ABC News. Detroit's largest Satanist temple chapter Mm -hmm. and another from the Manson family slash MTTS dot medium dot com. And I also looked at church of Satan dot com as well as the satanic temple dot com Wikipedia. And it all started with a little bit from a book I've used before called blood on the mitten by Tom Carr. Nice. Well, what an interesting story. Tis the season. (laughs) Season of something. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for ringing that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Nothing says Christmas time like talking about Satan. Absolutely. (laughs) And in that same spirit, I have a two truths and a lie for you. Fantastic. So I decided to do mine about uh, Christmas songs. Fantastic. Rather Christmas covers. Even better. So I've got... Three songs. Which mm-hmm. one's not a real song? Okay. So the first one is, well, they're all real songs with the covers, but anyway. So the first one's The Little Drummer Boy by Alanis Morissette. Okay. Number two, Winter Wonderland by Ozzy Osbourne and Jessica Simpson. Okay. Number three, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer by DMX. I'm going to go with number three being the lie. That is true. Damn it. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with number two being the lie. That is also true as part of the 2003 Osborne Family Christmas special. I thought I remembered Alanis Morissette doing Little Drummer Boy. I thought so too, but like, 
let me make sure it's not actually a thing. Cause I like did. That was the only one I was like, well, it's not that one. <laughs> Do we find a Mandela effect? Possibly. <laughs> oh, she apparently did a performance of it on Jimmy Fallon in 2019. Okay. So all the three of them were true. <laughs> but like, yeah, I guess uh, unintentionally <laughs> she's never done a recorded version of it. That's I guess. Fair. But she did also put out a cover of Happy Christmas War is Over last year as well. And so this is Christmas. Yeah, okay. And what have you done? That wasn't a great Alanis. <laughs> no, it really wasn't. It wasn't. That's okay, though. It's hard to do. I love Alanis, and I'm sorry I missed you singing at a karaoke, uh, uh, one hand in my pocket at yeah. karaoke the other night. And the other one's giving up peace sign. I probably will cut this, but on the road trip with Lisa this summer, uh, we it was like our first stop. I think we stopped at a McDonald's or something to pee and like grab some food or something like that. And I don't know why, but we were like talking about something. <laughs> and I, I think I said, oh, it, I've got one in my pocket, but it wasn't one hand. But I said, yeah. I've got one in my pocket. And then I let that out. I just went, and the other one, the peace sign. And then it was just like. You know the thing that comes up for like five days in Absolutely. a row and you just start hysterically laughing? It was like that kind of thing. So the whole trip we'd be like, and the other one's holding a beat sign. Like, <laughs> it's just so good. It's and the other so one's good. flicking a cigarette. Because uh-huh. <laughs> I got one hand in my pocket. Uh, uh, great song. So just some other honorable mentions. Yes. Uh, my Chemical Romance does a cover of All I Want for Christmas is You. I think I've heard that. Yeah, I love that one. Um, I think I've talked about it. Eurythmics, White Christmas. I love that mm-hmm. one, too. Just because, like, Andy Lennox does her little scat thing. Mm-hmm. And then Sharon Rosie doing Christmas, Baby, Please Come Home. I don't know who that artist is. Sharon Rosie O'Donnell? No. You've never heard it? I've never played it for you? I mean, if you have, I just don't know the name. Christmas, the snow's coming down. Christmas. I'm watching it for whole Christmas. You should be here with me. The song sounds familiar. Baby, please come home. Yeah, I know the song. Yeah, but there's a cover of Sharon Rosie O'Donnell doing it together. Oh, Sharon. I thought that was one person. I didn't no, know you meant. Cher, I was like, is that a drag queen? Because that No, Sharon and Rosie O'Donnell. Sharon Rosie O'Donnell. Nope. <laughs> Share, comma, and Rosie O'Donnell. That's why why you were looking at me like I was insane. Because I was like... I was like, I had to have told you about this. I just thought it was one person. Okay, now it all makes sense. Now it makes sense. But... On that note. Yes. Also, the Spice Girls do a cover of Christmas rapping. It's bonkers. Interesting. Yeah. All the Spice Girls holiday songs are bonkers, though. Because I I think they're just drunk the entire time, which I love and respect. good for them. Yeah. But I think on that note, we're wrapped. We're wrapped like. Wrapped like a gift from Macy's. Am I right? Perfect. (laughs) In the the display window. Yeah. Mm. Nice pair of ladies gloves from the Macy's. I had them wrap them. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. They are so beautiful. I know. But if you want to follow us on our social media, it's at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook, and our email address of DetroitStrange at gmail.com. Yeah. If you want to support the show, you can head over to Patreon. 
and look up Detroit Strange. We've got our merch shop over yeah. on Threadless. Some stuff over there. Get the Detroit Strange fan in your life. A nice t-shirt or tote bag. Yeah. You can Venmo either of us. Just find us on Instagram. Yes. And I've got, I think I've got it in my link tree. Yes. I don't know. But I think. Until next time. Stay, stay strange. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was created by Detroit duo Sax and Violence. There's two different communities that use this park. Uh, one is the uh, pagan or occultic community, and the other community is, of course, the homosexual community. That hair. Interestingly yep. enough, uh, they go hand in hand. And so, well, see, here you go. Uh, upon entering the park, I mean, you can see they've already got started. Uh, okay. Uh, this is a pentacle. Interesting thing about this pentacle is it's an upright pentacle. This is not a satanic pentacle. Now, the reason why this pentacle would not be considered satanic is because it has one point up. Now, Satanists would reverse this star, or pentacle as it's called, and have two points up. Those represent uh, the horns of Baphomet uh, and or the horns of Satan. Uh, but now, right over here, I can see on the tree here, there's a, there's a uh, inverted cross. Now, this is satanic. This is a very generic symbol. Um, let me see. This, well, it's actually fairly fresh, too. Um, this here, of course, is a, a bastardization of Christianity, and it's a very common symbol. Obviously, they probably had a party or, or a ritual here uh, within the past night or two. Uh, usually what they'll do is they'll mark, it's almost like a path. They'll mark a path to kind of show you where the action is at. Uh, the colors they'll use will be white, red, and black. Those are the dominant uh, colors of uh, the satanic movement, terms, if you will, uh, for the demonic. And uh, the implications of this is definitely satanic. Uh, when I showed you earlier the one-pointed up star as we first came in, and I told you that, you know, the implications of Satanism are two points up. I want to know who, like, came in and actually wrote all these things for him to do this training video. Uh, we'll go forward a little bit. And uh, this is very typical. This is the kind of thing that you can expect to see uh, not only on crime scenes, but in areas where folks hang out. These um, dumpsters. See, this is how they talk to each other. Now... Dumpsters. Yeah. What you see here, this is gang graffiti, okay? And this this is how gangs talk to each other, okay? But now this is how occultists talk to each other. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 of course. Mushrooms. Psilocybin ritual, which is not uncommon. Occultists are known for using uh, uh, peyote and, and psilocybin. And uh, so this was probably uh, a, a psilocybin ritual. What's that diagram? Oh, they're showing where he is in this area. And what I see here on the uh, concrete, it looks like they actually have the ritual here. Now, there's an N here for north, and there's an S over here for south. Yeah, we get it, buddy. And we had a group 
you would look for an open flat space. This onto a scene, and you're investigating a scene. You look on the ground, and you'll find clues as to what happened. Let's see what this clue is. Literally, so they were tied up, but there is blood all over this particular uh, zarocaine, known as lidocaine. Um, is a numbent. It's it's used to numb a numbent people, and for that matter, animals. And of course, numbing agent, maybe anesthetic. Yeah, a numbent place. Number nine. Nine represents the nine satanic statements. You can find this in uh, a book by Anton Sanzalove, which is called the Satanic Bible, and you will see that there are nine satanic statements. This is uh, the way cultists tell each other, hey, we're Satanists, and we're partying. <laughs> we're partying. I love it. 